no Mickey show. Momentarily for class solidarity Cash circulating, give the masses back its currency Greed from elites, oligarchs, stay fed Deep state, faith fed, everybody break bread Racism, homophobia, sexism, religion And it's melted by we live in time to build a new system Unionize labor rights, highlight the issue Talking heads left is best, the saga continues The No Mickey Show Hello and welcome to the Nomi Key Show. You are watching a special during our holiday week, uh, but but you know news does not go away. As much as some of us would like it to slow down just a little bit, uh, we're talking about next year's elections today, and specifically we're going to be talking about Texas, Texas, and Beto O'Rourke's latest run for governor, which is uh, you know of course he's run a couple of times now, and he's for for statewide office in particular. Uh, he's done very well facing. Facing Senator Ted Cruz, but didn't make it. Is this time different? We're going to be talking about this with Dr. Manuel Pastor. He's a director of USC, University of Southern California's Equity Research Institute, and he's the author of State Resistance, What California's Dizzying Descent and Remarkable Resurgence Means for America's Future. Uh, Dr. Pastor, thanks for joining. Welcome back to the Nomi Show. to be with you again. It's always a pleasure. So, better work. Uh, he is running again, and he is running... You know, with hopes to defeat Governor Abbott, who had such unique uh, takes on on the pandemic, not unlike DeSantis, DeSantis, Governor DeSantis's takes, and uh, and 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 I think you know the Republicans are hoping to keep some portion of the Latino vote together um, so that they can stay in power. That worked for Cruz. Will it work for Governor Abbott? Well. You know, first, Abbott has a few more serious issues that I think are going to sort of weaken him heading into this election. Of course, there's the energy crisis that emerged uh, during this year, and it's very easy to cast blame on the deregulated Texas market. It's uh, isolation from the rest of the country and mismanagement by Governor Abbott. Also, Abbott has been trying to cover his right flank. And so he's been moving to the right with anti-abortion bans, Mm -hmm. with the whole uh, bans on uh, mask mandates, et cetera. And that will hurt him as you move into a general election. But Beto faces a lot of headwinds as well. It's a midterm election, and that's always difficult to mobilize a Democratic vote, which turns out generally, to be younger, more people of color, more occasional voters. Biden's popularity, or lack thereof, Mm. will wind up being a drag on uh, Beto as we move forward. And of course, one of Abbott's early ads had Beto's face morphing into Biden's face. So I think that's going to wind up being a drag as well. And, you know, uh, you could argue that third time is the charm for Beto, or you could argue that third time is, shouldn't you give up already? So I have a feeling that uh, Abbott faces a lot of headwinds. Beto faces a lot of headwinds as well, even before we start discussing the Latino vote. Um, let's just remind folks who he is. Uh, he's a former congressman. He was a member of the Blue Dog uh, Caucus, which 
I think you would, you know, if, if you recall him running against Ted Cruz in that, you know, very progressive sort of Bernie-esque kind of way, it, it surprised a lot of folks. But as he's a former blue dogger, um, has he really shifted to the left? I mean, who, who is who is better at work today versus who he was when he got his start in politics? Well, it's interesting. He really started, you're right, as a blue dog Democrat. And I actually think during his campaign against Ted Cruz, he shifted to the left somewhat policy-wise, but it's more like he shifted to Bernie Sanders uh, sort of momentum-wise and presentation-wise. He was more enthusiastic. He was trying to rally new and occasional and younger voters. He was trying to make sure that he took no constituency for granted. You'll recall that he tried to campaign in every county in Texas, and there are a lot of counties. So I think where he actually shifted to the most, uh, most to the left politically was actually during the presidential campaign when he became a full throated defender of undocumented immigrants, of eliminating uh, AK 47s in uh, people's hands, et cetera. And that's going to come back to haunt him in this election. It is really interesting to me, and I'm sure, Namiki, you watched this, that his uh, debut ad was not the Beto, the fiery Beto of the run against uh, Ted Cruz or the, you know, Everetti bunny that he was during the presidential campaign. It was very subdued. Stylistically, it was moving back to a more moderate stance. Uh, and the, you know, he didn't really mention any hot button progressive issues. He mentioned the mismanagement of the energy system. He mentioned the mismanagement of not taking uh, the federal aid for expanding Medicaid. He really uh, set a more moderate tone. And I found that quite interesting as his setup for this gubernatorial campaign. Um, and, and, and just, you know, we can play a clip of this uh, in a second, but his the way he did this stylistically was he was just facing the camera. And um, I mean, I have my own personal opinions. I, I, I love the idea of speaking directly to a camera. I just think he went on for a little bit too long and, and the shot wasn't tight enough to build that trust, but that's just my, you know, personal kind of messaging, uh, you know, styles, my, 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 my notes on his style. Um, he's not Latino. Let's, let's, let's clear the air here. Um, he, he goes by Beto, but he's not Latino. Uh, do folks know that in Texas? Is that going to influence Latino vote at all? Well, it's something that the Republicans are going to make a great deal of. They've already begun to call him by his full name, Robert Francis O'Rourke. Um, it's important to realize. That, <laughs> Which might come out, by the way, might hurt them in the end. Because, Well, I think one of the interesting things about it, and I think this works in Texas, it probably works elsewhere as well. You know, he's been called Beto since he was a kid. He speaks Spanish. He's earned a lot of trust by the work that he's done in El Paso and on the border. And I think that there's a way in which in Texas, the issue of being a white politician who grew up with a lot of Hispanic friends and colleagues who you speak Spanish, know the culture, et cetera. I mean, I can't imagine Greg Abbott trying to out Latino, Beto O'Rourke. So I think that's um, going to be... Uh, 
you know, something that may not push uh, Latinos to the Republican side. But it is important to realize that you cannot assume that Latinos, and in Texas, they call themselves Hispanic. You cannot assume that Hispanics in Texas are automatically democratic. Um, it's a more conservative population. One interesting marker uh, in the American Community Survey, when you ask the question of Hispanics, do you identify as being white? In California, that number is below 60%. In Texas, it's above 80%. And while that might surprise people, it's also important to realize that the story of Hispanics in Texas fighting for their rights was historically about asserting their rights as Americans and asserting their rights as whites, because under the Treaty of Guadalupe, they were supposed to be treated as whites uh, within the judicial structure of the United States. So it's a more white identified population. It's a more conservative identified population. There's much more likely for Texas Hispanics to be involved in law enforcement or the border patrol. And so, you know, Republicans in Texas have generally been able to get about 30 to 35 percent of the Hispanic or Latino vote. So that's a pretty strong base to build from. What Beto needs to do is to uh, assure Texas Hispanics that he's not too far to the left, to raise his history of working with the Hispanic population in places like El Paso, and at the same time, animate the Latinx population. And by that, what I mean is young Latino voters who are very anti-Republican, very pro-Democrat. Challenge, this is a midterm race. And in midterm uh, elections, the share of young voters of every ethnicity falls off. Somehow young voters think politics is only about presidential elections. But this, you know, he's going to have to overcome that headwind of this being a midterm election. Um, I'm curious. I mean, I, I was born in Arizona and I grew up in Buffalo, New York. So, but I went back to school in Arizona and I, it was, it was interesting, you know, a, a very similar, a lot of, of overlap in my community and even marriage in terms of, um, the Greek community and the Mexican community, but so much of, of the Mexican community that I had been around growing up was very conservative. And yeah. part of that I think is, you know, at least from my own personal experience is because they were coming from Northern Mexico, which is very conservative. Um, and then you get a place like, like California, where you have a lot of farm workers, people who've come from other parts of Mexico, other regions of Mexico, and may have different experiences. Is, is that similar in, in Texas or how would you, why is it that? Uh, Texas is more conservative than, say, other parts of, you know, where you have a Mexican population, a very strong, large Mexican population in Southern California. I am so glad that you're asking this question, oh. because one of the mistakes that political analysts make is they say, what's going to happen with the Hispanic vote without considering its composition, without considering its location, without considering its history? So in Arizona, you had, when you were growing up, a long-established Hispanic population tended to identify itself as white, tended to be a little bit more conservative. That population has transformed dramatically. Why? Because there was an influx of 
Mexican immigrants. And because they were so othered and racialized by Sheriff Joe Arpaio and the Republican Party, that that swung a lot of the Hispanics in Arizona to a much more democratic perspective. You know, it's very similar. I'm a Cuban by origin. My dad was born in Cuba. And prior to Proposition 187 in California, he always proudly called himself Cuban and not Latino or anything else. But after Proposition 187, he realized that wasn't an attack on immigrants. That was an attack on everyone who was Latino. And he began to call himself Latino. So in Arizona, I think it was the attack on immigrants and the attack on Latinos that swung that population to the left. In California, that's part of the reason. It's also, you know, when Pete Wilson with Proposition 187 sort of politicized the issue of immigration, it was something that was perceived as a very anti-Hispanic or anti-Latino attack. Another big part of that is that there was a big influx of Central Americans, many of them fleeing the civil wars, and they came with lots of political practices that were a little bit more to the left. In Texas, what you've got is a much more established Latino population. It's one that asserted its political rights by asserting themselves as being white people in America. And you simply have a much more conservative ethos overall. You know, you can't imagine that if you're in a small rural town and you're Hispanic, that somehow you're missing the whole small rural Texas conservative ethos. And that affects that part of the Hispanic population in Texas as well. So there's many different reasons why. But the reality is you can't simply say the Republican Party is racist and assume that it's going to animate the Texas uh, Latino population to reject the Republican Party. It's fascinating. Um, I think there's one other factor as well. And I think this is really important. You know, if you think about someone who's not particularly political, but they want to be civically engaged. And so they say, well, I want to be a part of the Rotary Club or the Chamber of Commerce, et cetera. In Texas, the Republican Party has held such sway for such a long period of time that someone who simply says, well, I want to be a civic leader also joins the GOP because that's the vehicle to be civically engaged. If you're in California and you're Latino and you join the Republican Party, you're spelling civic death for yourself because it's such, you know, in our state, the most popular party is the Democratic Party. The second most popular party is decline to state. And the third most popular party, you know, falling by a long wind behind is the Republican Party. And Caitlin no, Jenner will shift that. <laughs> didn't work. Didn't work. And the most, uh, of course, no, and Caitlin Jenner and showed this, is that the there has been no statewide race that a Republican has won since Arnold Schwarzenegger, and man, was that guy an exception. So if you're an ambitious civic person, you're moving into the Democratic Party in California. If you're an ambitious civic person in Texas, you might actually move into the Republican Party, even if you're Hispanic. 
And, and, and it's also, you know, you mentioned the Chamber of Commerce and the Rotary Clubs. I mean, I, I grew up in, in outside of Buffalo, New York and somewhat rural, uh, area and a three to one Republican area. And that's exactly what people did is they joined their local chamber of commerce, which was, which seems so foreign compared to the national chamber of commerce, uh, because you know, it was where people, they would go to breakfast and they'd like network and they'd share cards and they'd pay their, you know, $15 a month dues or whatever it was. I got to go to events and socialize. And that was, that was the activity. And you know, this, this bucolic little village. They got to help their local business, know who those businesses are, et cetera. So, you know, we forget how at a local level, these, you know, a lot of local politics now has become quite polarized because of the national dynamics and the way in which political parties are taking advantage of things like school board elections, local elections, and so much more. But traditionally, a lot of these local party machines have really just been a way for people to socialize and engage civically. But boy, it's very different right now. The stakes are extraordinarily high when you're seeing these school board elections that are about getting rat rid of masks so that we can put our children at risk or getting rid of teaching kids about racism so we can create a generation that's not inoculated against prejudice and uh, structural racism. So we're seeing that the stakes at a local level are quite high and that the uh, local elections have become quite polarized. And they're well-funded too, um, meaning from, from the right. So yeah. uh, let's talk a little bit, l- let's wrap up by talking about how the power grid, uh, the situation with privatizing power, how that play, will play out with voters, um, how much voters know about what happened too. Because it, you know, it's, it's not the easiest thing to understand how these contracts work. Well, part of it is the deregulation and privatization of the Texas energy market. Part of it is the fact that the Texas energy market exists as an independent market from the rest of the country. And so in most states, if we have a shortfall of energy in California, because, for example, we're moving quite aggressively to renewables, if we don't have a particularly good day in terms of sun and wind, we try to rely on what's stored. And if not, we tap into the electricity grid from the rest of the country and temporarily use the dirty energy that everybody else is generating. Texas has created an energy grid that's disconnected from the rest of the country. And as a result, when they have their own particular shortfall in the particular case this winter of having some uh, switching stations get permanently get knocked out and have a lot of problems with restoring uh, electricity to the grid, they don't have the connections to be able to tap in to the rest of the country. That's a poorly designed system. On the other hand, it's Texas proud. It's Texas independent. And I think what you're going to see Abbott doing is appealing to the idea that Texas stands on its own. Texas is its own country, its own, you know, place. And I think what you're going to see uh, Beto and others trying to do is to try to appeal to some degree of rationality. The unfortunate thing is rationality doesn't always work in Texas elections. If it worked, Greg Abbott wouldn't be governor. And and if if Greg Abbott is able to accomplish one thing, and in it's not maybe it's not moving Latinos to to the right, the ones that that he's trying to target, but 
keeping folks home. I think that's, they wanted to press the vote for Beto. So he's not able to, to rile up a base that's frustrated, but you know, there's a very effective, uh, shot. There's a, there's a shot at effective messaging in terms of, of this privatization and just personalizing it, you know, showing, you know, the elderly who are, who are affected and, and weren't able to access water for days or, or, I mean, the hurricanes, of course, we could, we could talk about that and just how much it's gotten, you know, uh, so much worse in, in Houston in particular and, and the mutual aid that had to be set up because government is too independent. You know, you, everyday people shouldn't have to be taking care of each other. That's why you pay taxes. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, I think that's going to be one of the things that's going to be a central messaging issue. Uh, and it's a couple fold. One is to make the point that re- Republicans get into power, they tend to mess things up. Um, You know, it got shown at the national level. It's just unbelievable to me that a party that gave a gigantic tax cut to the wealthiest Americans that managed to provide the slightest bit of sugar and juice into the economy for one year and then create permanent deficits going forward is viewed as being able to manage the economy better. It's difficult to think about uh, a party that managed to kill 500 to 600,000 people on its watch by mismanage the COVID campaign can claim they can actually be able to manage things better. And it's incredible to me that the Republican Party in Texas that managed to uh, mismanage its electricity system into a complete and utter crisis, putting lives at risk, may be able to claim that we can do this better. I think the Democrats need to be able to claim that Government can be managed effectively and efficiently. That equity is actually the way to grow our economy in a way that will not only get, you know, be about fairness and inclusion, but about the fact when you put that much money in the hands of the rich, you're bound to get waste and expenses on things that are not useful while you're not investing in poor people's ability to get health care, low-income kids' ability to get an education, uh, low-income people's ability to train for the jobs of the future. So Democrats are going to have to claim the argument that equity is not just about fairness, but about growing our economy. One of the things I think that's going to be a real, another set of headwinds for Beto and any Democrat in Texas to face is redistricting and the way in which the Texas Republicans are gerrymandering to try to lock in Republican advantage, even as Republicans no longer claim a clear majority of the statewide vote. And you can think to yourself for a minute, well, how is that going to affect a statewide election like the gubernatorial election? But the problem is we never know what's going to animate someone to vote. And maybe it's the local candidate for the Texas state legislature, or um, or maybe it's the local congressional race. And if you can animate people there, then they're out to be able to vote for the gubernatorial candidate as well. And so this, these shenanigans around redistricting to try to suppress the voters of color and try to suppress Democratic voters, they can have statewide consequences as well as consequences in the districts that are being gerrymandered. Oh my God, so many things to think about. And it's also extremely horrifying because they're so well-funded, so organized, and Democrats are 
Democrating. <laughs> the thing is, they're well-funded and they tend to think a couple of steps ahead. And that is one of the things, and they tend to be able to own the narrative about right. government government being inefficient, Texas being independent, leave us alone, et cetera. So Democrats are going to be have to try to figure out how to generate the kind of funding that's necessary, how to think a couple of steps ahead mm-hmm. to create permanent structural advantage for progressives, and how to change our narrative. So we are constantly talking about our economy, talking about the government as one potential tool to improve our economy. Mutual aid is another, small business is another, and importantly, owning the argument that racial equity and economic equity are about fairness and inclusion, but they're also about making sure that everyone can succeed, be productive, and contribute to the prosperity of our economy. 100%. So perfectly said, Dr. Manuel Pastor. Um, it's like you come on to preach. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I guess I'm not just a pastor, not just a Manuel Pastor, but I'm a pastor as well. Yes, yes. You're also a very good taco. <laughs> Depending on the mood. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Dr. Pastor, thank you so much for joining. Brad, our producer's like laughing at me. Um, really, really appreciate it. Thank you for preaching. Un placer. Good to be with you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. Make sure to take the time. If you want to catch up on old videos, this is the time to do it. The holidays are perfect time. Uh, if you are not already subscribing and liking, jump in there, subscribe and like. And... If you haven't seen us on TNS Live, we are on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. live doing extended interviews, just like the one you saw just now. We do them every week on rockfin.com slash nomiki. In the meantime, we will see you on Friday and stay in solidarity. The no Mickey Show. Clash momentarily for class solidarity. Cash circulating, give the masses back its currency. Greed from elites, oligarchs, stay fed. Deep state, faith fed. Everybody break bread. Racism, homophobia, sexism, religion in this melting pot. We live in time to build a new system. Unionize labor rights. Highlight the issue. Talking heads left is best. The saga continues. Continues. The No Meeky Show.